Well, good morning, and it's good to be here today. Uh, a little bit different from this vantage point than sitting over there, um, but I think that this topic is so very important, and I feel honored that I was asked to be able to share uh, in regards to parenting and basically today talking about the absolute need that we have to introduce as much as we can our children, our grandchildren, to understanding that there's this conflict that exists in the world of those who believe in a God and those who do not. And, and that is affecting the lives of many, and it can be something that we battle within our homes. Uh, before I start, though, I would, I would like to just say thank you to this uh, congregation. Um, about two and a half years ago, we were informed that our granddaughter, Addie, had leukemia, and juvenile le leukemia. And I will tell you that our prayers, your prayers, prayers of many, many people have, uh, have been clearly answered. Um, she is just about done with any treatments. And shortly after she started her first treatments, she went into remission and has remained in remission uh, all that time. So thank you. Your prayers were answered. Um, and we're very grateful because God has special things planned for her. Um, I think out of it, she has a desire to become a doctor. Um, and we'll see where that goes. I love being a parent, but I also love being a grandparent. In fact, I believe what a lot of people say, if I knew how much fun grandparents' time would be, I'd have had them first. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a joy, and, I, and I, Sue and I were both blessed in, in godly homes. Um, my parents came to Christ when I was about a year and a half old. Um, Sue's parents, uh, Sue was born into her, the home that her, she was in and her parents uh, were saved before that time of her birth. But um, in the heritage that happens with grandparents and great-grandparents is just a tremendous and can be a tremendous thing uh, when we talk about the, the, the whole thing with, uh, of parenting. But uh, gospel-centered parenting, I, I'm guess guessing that most of us never heard somebody say before we had children, here's how you parent. Um, when I became a parent, I, I, I said to myself, bring it on. Uh, I'm ready to become the world's best parent. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have these little angels that are going to love God every day of their life and live that way. Um, I was prepared. I, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents uh, r raised me, and I know if you talk to my wife, she would tell you my mother still thinks that I was a perfect child. Um, I wasn't, but I turned out okay. And I went, then I went off to college, and uh, I took a class called Marriage and Family. We talked about parenting. And then four years of marriage, we had our first child. Six weeks later, we moved to Tennessee to start graduate school. And I, well, part of my program of graduate work was count, a counseling course that I had to take. So I'm ready. I, you know, I had all the answers. 
So I thought. Then at 18 months, that first child, that sweet little toddler, introduced us to a strong-willed child, him. Um, Sue and I both are strong-willed individuals, and we have three children that are strong-willed individuals. And it's good that we pay attention and we listen to, to people over the years. Um, I, I remember carrying my radio around when I was working for my father-in-law uh, and I was painting or putting um, um, siding on, had my radio on so the neighborhood around me was, was hearing what was going on, but a guy like Chuck Swindoll talking about parenting and, and the bent on children. Before we jump into it, though, I, just some funny quotes that, you know, parenting changes everything, and there's a, lot, there's a number of young people here, and uh, you go into it and thinking about your child's going to be the absolute greatest child, and you're going to do, be the best parents. Um, one person said this, 90% of parenting is, is just thinking about when you can lie down again, Okay. Milton Berle, how many of you remember Milton Berle? Milton Berle said this, if evolution was true, it worked, how come mothers only have two hands? Right, ladies? We expect you to have 10 or 15 hands. Um, this one wife and mother said this, both of us can't look good at the same time. It's me or the house. Um, a mom said this, I don't want to sleep like a baby, I just want to sleep like my husband. <laughs> How true. Uh, as we had our children, and Sue nursed the children, so I'd go to bed, I'd sleep great, never hear, the, I'd wake up and I'd say, honey, I didn't hear the baby all night. <laughs> well, I did, and she would tell me about having to get up a couple of times a night or whatever. Um, you know, it's one of the things that this parent said, it's, it's like kids can just smell when you start to relax. <laughs> yep. <laughs> one, one day a parent said this, one day I will be thankful that my child is strong-willed, but that won't be today. Um, our, our second son, Daniel, who's up in the uh, Scranton area, his youngest child, um, she, we were, we hadn't got, we had gone up to visit. We just hadn't been there very long, and the flesh part of her was starting to come out, and she was having a temper temper tantrum. And as she was being uh, walked out by her mother, Danny said, "She just needs Jesus." <laughs> you know what? That's exactly the point that I want to make today is that this is a battle for the soul of our children, your grandchildren. And we parents, and eventually I'm going to get to it this, dads, we have a huge responsibility to be a part of that process. And we have to take it, we have to take it very seriously. So we're going to start with the idea about sin nature. That's where we have, to, we have to start this in the four-week process. I'm not going to talk much about the, the discipline process. That comes for Jason, the pastor, who he can have people mad at, okay? 
at him, not me, okay? Um, but we're going to talk about the sin nature. My pastor from in West Virginia, he said this, every morning when we wake up, we can be confident that our carnal flesh wants to dominate our life. So true. That same flesh is working in every one of our children. Whether they have come to Christ or whether they need to come to Christ. And then there are, of course, some children that really, really, really have the carnal flesh, okay, and need Christ. There are no exceptions. I can't tell you personally how many times as my role in an administrator in a, in a Christian school that I have heard parents say, my child would never lie. That's dangerous. That's real dangerous. And we're, we're talking about the battle for the soul. We're talking about the fact that the, in the battle for this soul, there is this foolishness on one side that is rearing its ugly head, and there is this Christ-likeness that needs to be developed. There's the inborn condition of living life with a self-pleasing perspective versus living life with a God-pleasing perspective. That's the battle. I'm going to please myself or I'm going to please God. And even as ad mature adults, we choose at times to please ourselves rather than please God. It's about destruction of a soul or it's about gaining wisdom. It's dealing with the fact that it's a carnal soul or a spirit-filled life. When we understand the natural human condition, our approach to parenting changes. And our children can come to an understanding of who they are before a holy God. It's the good news that human beings don't have to pay for their own sin because Christ already did it. Let's break it down further. The gospel demands that every human being faces his or her own sinful nature. Did you know that every person has a personal anthropology? What do I mean? Man or a woman. What you believe about nature of human beings will dictate if you're on the right track to gospel-centered parenting. That's from Ministry Pass, who supplied a good deal of this, what I'm sharing with you today. That's what it comes down to. Anthropology for men or women is the very foundation of humankind. That anthropology, in a real quick summary, and talk about it a little bit more, it basically comes down to, do I believe in God? Or is my worldview very different that I don't believe in God? If, it, if it's that, then you basically you're saying that we are accidental byproducts of the nature that we have evolved. Somewhere, we're lost in this hostile, mindless universe, and we're doomed to perish. We don't have significance. 
We're irrelevant. There's no God, so I don't have to plan about God. And a man, a dog, a mosquito, a pig, a frog, we're all the same. And we're going to return to dust when we die. That's the no God. Without God, there is no framework in which people's lives can be seen to matter. On the other hand, if you believe that humans are God's greatest creation and we're uniquely designed by God, that changes everything. And that's the message and that's the process that we have to be involved in as we, as we not only God has changed our lives, but we also are working through either our children or our grandchildren trying to see them come to Christ as well. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it said this, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We're talking about the, the, the image that we have been created in after their, God's image. So the, the battle that exists is this what and how we are going to claim the heart of a child for Christ. Paul Tripp talks about this. He said, if you, if you look up, he said that we must view our children as a free, responsible, creative, rational, moral, co-rulers of the creation. We, that precious little baby is a co-ruler of the creation. What does Genesis 1.26 tell us? That we're created in the image after their likeness and they want us to have dominion over this earth. We have it over the, the livestock, the fish, the birds, the heavens, over every creeping thing. That's our role. So that we're image bearers. But secondly, he said, apart from God's intervention, through his word, his spirit, and Christ, those children will inevitably live out that image in ways that do not honor God and that often hurt others. That's the fallen nature that we all possess, as we're going to talk about in a, in a couple minutes. So, in the, image, in the middle is the fallen image bearer. We parents enter our children's lives as an incarnation of the truth. The truth is that you're fallen. The truth is if you've come to Christ, then you're part of the responsibility of co-rulers of this creation. But we as parents enter our children's lives as an incarnation of the truth, not to control them, 
but to nurture, to love and discipline them in their fallenness. Now, you might be saying, I messed, I've messed up. It's too late, isn't it? Your starting point is right now. And the gospel has a greater chance to penetrate your child's heart than if you wait until later. It's never too early to claim their hearts for Christ. I can, I can assure you that that was on the heart and mind of my wife and I as we began raising our children. It was on the heart and mind of us to pray that they would come to Christ as soon as they would clearly understand. I've moved into that next step of being a grandparent. And five out of my six grandchildren have given their life to the Lord. I'm waiting for the, seven, the sixth one. And, we're pray, and we pray about that constantly because that matters. And, it, and it's on the hearts and minds of their parents too. You may be thinking, I should have been sharing the truth of the gospel, but I haven't. Is it too late? No. You too can start now. It's not too late. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. We're going to look at here for a few minutes. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. In this passage, Paul is, is pointing out not a particular sin, but the propensity to sin that entered the human realm. Men became sinners by nature. John MacArthur says that. Adam disobeyed. And that disobedience resulted in sin nature being passed on to all human beings from conception. There was a friend of ours he's, who's in heaven now. He said this when, when he'd ever meet a new baby for the very first time. He'd say, look at that cute little sinner. And he was right. He was right. As we look at verse 18 down a little bit lower, the verse says this, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteousness, righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. That righteous act was Jesus Christ going to the cross. It was Jesus Christ paying the penalty of sin so that you and I could receive Jesus Christ. And that's what we work on as parents. John MacArthur says in this passage that there are three, death is manifested three ways. Spiritual death or separation from God, all right? We're dead in our, our trespasses and our sins. There's a physical death. Hebrews 9.27, remember, it's appointed unto man once to die. Unless the rapture takes place, we're going to die. It's going to happen. And then there's the second death, which is the eternal death, which is from Revelation chapter 20, that those who do not know Christ, 
who have not received that free gift, they're going to be thrown into the eternal lake of fire to be for forever and to be tormented for rejecting Christ. That's separation from God. But we need to understand sin is not limited to what we do, our actions, but who we are at the core. Humans are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we're sinners. There is our nature, which is sinful, and then there is our expression of that nature, and that is sin. If you look at verse 13, it says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted for what there, where there is no law. What's being said here is that this is the period of time between Adam and Moses before the law was given. There's no list of sins. The Ten Commandments hadn't been given. But we, there was still sinning that took place during that time. And then in verse 14, we read, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Even without the law, death was universal. Not because of the, their acts, it was because of their own inherited sinful nature. And then verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. What Paul is trying to point out here is that one man's death is salvation for many. We need to remember this, that Christ's act of redemption was greater than Adam's act of condemnation. The gospel is God's gift to people. It is the good news that we don't have to pay for our sins because Christ already did it. And it demands that every human being face his or her own sinful nature. Whether you are a, an adult sitting here today or one of the children back in the nursery, they all, we all must come to grips with that question. Have we given our life to Jesus Christ? As we move on, if, we look at, if you look at in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, it talks about the tree that bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll be recognized by their fruits. One day I went out to prune trees in our backyard. We had some apple trees there. <laughs> when I came back, my wife, I think my wife went away, and I, when I came back in the house, and there weren't any trees standing. My pruning was I cut them off. I got frustrated and just cut them off because they didn't produce well anyway. Um, but that was my fault. 
When you look at a bad fruit on a diseased tree, I don't think you think, that's disgusting. Maybe, though, a good one will turn up soon. (laughs) That tree can only produce bad fruit because of the root problems. Fix the tree, you fix the fruit. One of the things that's so important is that root that lives within, that fallen nature that lives within the body, that lives within our spiritual hearts that we must deal with. Once we're saved, we still deal with it. Before we're saved, that's where individuals have to get to the point. I remember my brother-in-law telling me that his grandmother, when he talked to her about the Lord, she never felt like she did any, she sinned. So she was not bad. You can't bring someone to Christ until they understand that. When I, deal, when I dealt with younger children and children at school, quite often I wanted them to hear a few things. You're not bad. You made a bad decision. I still love you. But before we're done here, and and you tell me you're a believer, you're a Christian, then you need to ask Jesus to forgive you. You need to claim that forgiveness that he promises so you can move forward in in your walk. When I got home one day, my wife asked this question. Do you think the boys will ever like each other and get along? Okay. I can answer this. Yes, they do. And they're close friends today. Why? Because we understood we couldn't stop dealing with our children. We understood that we need to stay consistent, that we saw them as fallen image bearers. We fixed the tree and started seeing good fruit. If you fail to do it, understand that that fallen nature can lead to other things than just being ornery kids. It can lead to murder, which is the fruit that stems from the tree of hate. Or adultery and pornography, which is the fruit that stems from the tree of lust. Or gossip. And it's the fruit that stems from the tree of discord, and so on. And you might ask, why, why is this important to understand? It's easy to focus on trying to fix the actions of our children and ignore the heart of the child. We have to go after the heart. My oldest son was driving. He was on the Pennsylvania um, junior license and a couple of nights in a row, he, needed to, he figured he needed to stay a little longer at his girlfriend's house. And he came in after the 11 o'clock. So we had a discussion about coming in after the hours. We weren't yelling. He came home, and I met him at the bottom of the steps. And, I, and, and in the conclusion of our discussion, I said it this way. Now he's a, a young adult driving a vehicle. 
I said, number one, scriptures tell us that you should honor your parents. Your Christianity needs to be real. I'm asking you to honor your mom and dad. We want you to be in before 11 o'clock. I want you to respect our wishes. And then I reminded him, and this was the, the teaching part, right? you're going to be an adult someday, and you're going to raise your children as you believe God would have you raise them. And I, he may have said one time, and when he was upset, we were correcting him, and he may have said, or one of my children may have said, when I become a parent, I'm going to raise my children differently. And guess what? I'm all about that. They're your children. But you raise them to mess up, I'm going to mess you up because you're messing with my grandchildren. No, not just. Um, but that's the reality of it. He's going to be a parent someday. And I will tell you, my, my two boys are outstanding parents. Um, and I give my wife the majority of the credit on that. But you see, it's very easy, and as I've talked to my faculty over the years about dealing with discipline, we can't just be state troopers giving out tickets. Oh, you got a detention for this. You got a detention for this. Oh, you're out in the hallway without a pass. You got a detention for this. We're not dealing with the heart. We're just giving them a ticket that ticks them off. It's called a detention or a suspension. Instead of taking the time to talk with that child and recognize there's something going on within the home and going into it a little further, it's dealing with the heart. And that's how we deal with our, our, our children. Our children are not robots. We need to see if we can help change their heart. Gospel-centered parenting teaches the child through training that he is sinful. We know the story in 1 Samuel 3.13 of Eli. The parent, this is what it said about him in, in verse 13. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. He did not restrain them. They had free reign. What do you expect if we don't restrain children? Eli failed to restrain his soul, sons. I'm, this is the part that's going to get personal. Dads, God expects us to take control. There was a point in our household that I had to say to my wife, I will take control of the discipline from now. It is okay if you say to our children, you're gonna, I need you to, you're gonna wait until your dad gets home. You see, because early on in our marriage with younger children, she never wanted to put this thought in the mind of wait till your dad gets home, he'll deal with it, because she wanted me to look, be welcomed by my children when I got home. But I was, had been working with teenagers for so long, I knew there was a time that I needed to say, let me handle this, hon. 
And one of the things that I told my boys is this. I said, I want you to love your mother. I don't want you to get angry with your mother because she's disciplining you. And as you're growing to become a young man, you don't want to hear from a woman. And so that, I took over. It doesn't mean I didn't discipline at other times. But as they got older and there were bigger issues and things to deal with, it was my job. Parents, you're not helping your children like Eli when you believe your child never does wrong. I got to assume that that's what Eli believed in. She's just a child. Boys will be boys. A child would never lie. My son Daniel... I get home one afternoon. He's in high school. He tells me about, he's so upset about this teacher, and she did this and said this. And all. So I said to him, Daniel, let me ask this question. If I call Mrs. Grafe up right now, and I speak with her, is she going to tell me the same story? Never mind, Dad. Forget it. It would probably have been close, but it was going to have some evangelistic type of expression in his view of the, his, his side of that story. Remember, people and children, people who, our children are people, but we need to remember children, we have a bent away from sin, or towards sin, away from God. Proverbs 22, 6 says, admonish to train up your children. Point them to Christ. Constant instruction at an early age. Why? So that we can instill character in their lives. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction. Correction instruction, training instruction. We're training, training, training. That's our job. Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. I love this passage because it clearly tells me as a father, me as a grandfather, you've got to teach your children. It is your responsibility. And he says, you shall, he says, first off, you're going to, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. We see that several other places in the scripture. The greatest command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And he said, also these words I command you today shall be on your heart. What's that mean? It means I'm going to think about them. I'm going to focus on them. I'm going to evaluate them. I'm going to talk about them. Teach them diligently to your children. When you, and you're going to talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's pretty much always keeping those thoughts in our minds about talking about God to our children. Now, I, I, I do know that there are other things that have to go on. But when something sparks or triggers a thought, 
we can point them to God. I, I, I'm going to tell you, the topics of conversation inside the home at different times are so important and outside. We used to, you know, we traveled a lot back and forth to see my parents and into the mountains to where their cabin, their retirement home was. And I loved going at different times of the year and pointing out God's creation. Talk about it to the children. Talk about the times that God answers prayer. My wife, with our two oldest, before the other two were born, we praying about a, a super big thing, and that was we had just moved into our house in about a year. We knew that we were going to have to replace the septic system with a, and tie into the city sewer. We knew that was going to cost us a lot of money. And my wife, as she was working with us, kids, we would pray about God providing for that need. Guess who got the first praise when a check came from a grandparent almost to that amount to cover the bill telling our kids, the two oldest, how God provides. And you know something? I got to believe that piece, along with some others, were instrumental in why my children, two oldest, are in full-time ministry today. I would test children. We, were we are Buffalo Bills fans. We haven't won a Super Bowl like the Eagles finally did. But we still love the Bills. And the, and the first time they were in the Super Bowl, the game was at 6 o'clock, 6.15. Our church service was at 6 o'clock. So I thought I would test them a little bit that day, and I said to them, you know, because Sue would say, hey, it's time to get ready to go. And I'd say, let's stay home today. And we can miss church this time. Oh, Dad, we can't do that. We need to be in church. Okay, great. That idea and thought began several years before when Sue and I were just dating when I was playing softball for the, a local team where I was going to school, and we had a tournament, and on that weekend, they had a game on, at 9 o'clock Sunday morning. And it was a struggle, but it was a commitment that I made that I'm going to give God first place. And it's okay if I miss a, a softball game. There's bigger things to deal with. My motivation by telling my children these things are, I don't want God to say to me, remember when you did this and you wonder why your child walked away or why your child didn't have as much interest? There's nothing. For me, it was a battle of my will and my priorities of life. And for me, my priorities of life have been that we're going we're gonna to raise our children and understand that that's a commitment to be a part of the worship service. 
Parents can't choose the path your children will take. They're gonna, the children will do that. But we do have a choice to give it our best, to ask God to help. Use the influence you still have. Maybe start by telling them you want to be a better parent by God's grace and help. We must do everything we can to bring them to Christ. When we understand the human, the natural human condition, our approach to parenting changes and our children can come to, pat, come to an understanding of who they are before a holy God. We must direct our children to Christ. We must live it. We must tell it. We must pray for it. And we must expect it. God's word and the power of redemption will bring lasting change, radical change. Salvation of a soul is a radical change because of the sin nature. Father, thank you for the word that were said today that you've provided through your word, the Bible. Lord, thank you so much for, parent, for the ability and the opportunity to be a parent. Lord, may all parents desire to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when it comes to raising their children. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Ken. Let's show, show Ken our appreciation of him uh, filling the pulpit this morning. So if there's one thing that we learned this morning as we'll kind of come up and take some application is, listen, do, do life with your kids, live out the gospel with your kids, and invest in your kids. Um, our children are our investments. And the more we pour into them, and as Ken says, the most important, understand they're sinners. Next week, Brother Paul Wampa is going to share about the area of grace. God's grace is sufficient parenting. And so as we continue through this series, I hope we're learning, we're taking notes of what we need to do. Grandparents, how we can maybe uh, work with our grandkids on these same areas. But do, do life with your kids. Live out the gospel with your kids. And our goal is that they come to faith in Christ. And so we join you. We stand as we sing our last song and have a great week.